Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I used to cover the team on the beat. Now host the daily radio show from 3 to 6 on the Team 980. Logan played 10 years in the NFL. And he's a quite smart about football you're gonna learn something today i'm hoping to learn something today logan because as we break down the commander's win from this past weekend over indianapolis i am trying to make sense of this game and it is not happening it is not happening within my brain because offensively where they score just 17 points obviously the bulk of them coming on the final two drives it didn't feel like they were inept it didn't feel like they were stagnant it didn't feel like so much of their offensive struggles this year yet the production wasn't there when you've had a chance to now watch the film how do you make sense of that what actually happened to those first three quarters because i feel like i couldn't tell anybody uh what happened and i've watched it multiple times yeah so i think you know you brought that up on the show you just like it had this uh, on the show on saturday or sunday you had this like weird feeling to it and I went back and watched it, and I was like, you know, they're actually being pretty efficient here on first down, pretty efficient on second down. They're doing a good job on third down. And then I think you get to, like, the crux of it. And, and no drive kind of typifies that more to me than their first – or there was their second three and out. or second, It wasn't a three and out. But basically what happens is they run a play on first down, and they're in a decent situation. I think it's like, um, you know, it's like second and eight or whatever. Then they try to throw that screen, that bubble pass to Terry to the mm-hmm. left. And the it gets blown. He goes down as a run. Yeah, and it, and it was like a lateral, and like Dax Mills doesn't get the block, and the timing looks a little bit late. And you kind of say to yourself, uh, did they need to do that there? Um, and then that just kind of stymies the drive, kills the drive, because then it's uh, it's third and 14, third and 15. Obviously, you're not going to get a conversion there. They check it down to McKissick, and you're okay with that. They're in the plus territory. They punt it, and obviously, Indianapolis's offense isn't doing anything spectacular. The next drive... It's a very similar sequence. They're kind of they're moving the ball effectively coming out of their own end zone. I think they go probably four or five plays and then take a chunk play. And they're at like the 40-yard line, which is where you want to take a shot. You can tell Scott Turner's thinking through that process a little bit about I'm going to take a shot here. And the defense knows I like to take shot here. So you throw a screen to Antonio Gibson and they sent the screen out and it's second and it's third and 14 again. So those are the types of plays where you say this offense, because they have been so conservative and rightfully so obviously you know you don't want to put too much on taylor's plate and they do want to be run first they want to rely on the defense but when you do stuff like that you haven't cultivated responses necessarily for these long down and distances that that happen 
on bad plays. You know, it's funny, even on the, uh, even after the screen, right. They run the same play that Terry has the big play on in the first half that kind of all go with uh, a Zorro route coming across or like a zig route. Some people call it. And it's to Curtis Samuel and Curtis has cultivated the same type of separation from the defender. The ball's there. It's going to be another big play, and the ball gets batted down, you know? And so, mm-hmm. like, those are the types of things. And you kind of say, man, that, that's a pretty smart move by Scott. Like, I think I go back to the Chicago game when Terry catches that screen, like, bubbling out to the right, and it was like, wow, Terry's getting touches. This is great. This is so good for this offense. And they're running the same play, essentially, but they're doing it from a different formation, and it just doesn't hit. And now, all of a sudden, you get a lot of criticism, you know, addressed to that play. You get criticism addressed to the screen to Gibson. And I look at the screen to Gibson. I'm like, you know, I think Gibson's one of the most explosive players in the NFL. I want to get him touches. I want to get him touches in space. And you can make an argument here or there about whether or not it's blocked up effectively and whether the O-line is going to the right people, whatever. But I like the play call. I like the play call on the mm-hmm. screen. I like the play call there. It just doesn't fall for you, right? I even like the subsequent call that's going to get you out of that second and 14 situation, right? To Curtis, the ball gets batted. Like, those are the types of things that this offense just, I don't think, can overcome. So you get these kind of this feeling of like, oh, the ball's moving. They're doing some good stuff. But then it, t- it just takes one play to get you off track. And that's it goes back to our favorite statistic on this show, that if you are having a, you know, if you don't cultivate big plays, it's hard to score points because right. of stuff 15 like this. yards plus uh, 55% chance to score if there's a 15 plus yard play. Uh, less than or if it's if you don't have that kind of explosive not like massive explosive but baseline level explosive 15 plus yard play on a drive you're only scoring five percent of the time right and i think like that shows up that shows up with this team quite a bit and i think um you know like i said they haven't had an ability quite frankly to overcome some of that stuff but that's true of a lot of teams that's true Mm -hmm. of indianapolis that's true of green bay right now that's true of chicago i mean there's only a handful of teams that can overcome those situations and they're some of the best teams in football Right. So let's dive in a little bit to some of that then, because it didn't feel like Scott called a particularly bad game. Right. Um, yet the production wasn't there. It didn't feel like Taylor played badly yet until, you know, his final numbers look great thanks to those final two drives. But it didn't feel like he played that badly, but the production was just brutal. And the screen game is a huge part of it, the failed screen game. And if you want to have a criticism of Scott, I would say like, why do you keep going to something that has not worked for you right. all year in the screen game? And I think that there's probably more criticisms in the running game as well, which we can get to right. both in selection and execution. So I will, I'm going to ask what sounds like a super harsh, harsh question, but I'm just trying to find out the answer. Why are they so bad at screens? Because there are some teams that are great at them. Andy Reid teams are always phenomenal in this regard. Um, there's plenty of other teams that, that seem to coach that stuff really well. Uh, Kyle and, and Sean seem to have a, a pretty good feel for a lot of that uh, in, in most years. But this team consistently has not had a screen game that's been consistently effective. Why is that? What What is missing? Yeah, so some of it's luck. You know, some, like screens are, are very, um, very up and down. But you can also create your own luck. And what I mean by up and down, so let's start with that first statement, is sometimes a, a big poor pass rushing defensive tackle is being lazy on third down. Whenever you're running your screen, he's like, I'm content to just stand here. And then all of a sudden his laziness leads him directly to a screen. And that happens more times than you would think. Right. Yeah. You're like, Oh, that big guy's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Right. And so, and again, like what I will say is when you watch teams that are good at running screens, you can tell they're good at it because they have contingencies for that type of stuff. Right. If the big fat guy's not going to move, like I'm not going to release the linebacker. I'm just going to block this guy. Right. And, 
you can tell like, cause the whole point of a screen is just to kind of rely on the defense's natural drop to create space for the back. And so when, like, for example, on the Paris Campbell screen that Indianapolis runs, man, that is executed beautifully. The defensive end gets a little bit too far up the field. John or John or Payne, I forget, but they actually read it out really nicely. But Quentin Nelson, who's going to the linebacker, is has eyes back on the defensive line. They call it a rat killer as a technique, right? And that mm-hmm. rat killer is sniffing out the guy who's kind of sniffing your screen out. And he smokes, smokes John, kind of plays a nice little screen and creates a nice alley there. The receiver runs off and the two extra linemen are on linebackers. You get hats on hats and he hits it. And so I look at the screen that Gibson ran, for example, and there's no rat killer there or the rat killer is a little bit late. And so John, uh, John, not Jonathan Stewart, uh, Rod Stewart, Rod, Ron Stewart. Rod Stewart's a singer. Grover yeah, Stewart. Grover Stewart. There, it was in there. It was in there somewhere. It was Stewart. Circulating you could just around. go with the last. Day. You don't have to pretend to go full name. Just, you know, uh, you could have just bought the big hog molly. Yeah, you know, number, I think that's, number nine, that's a number nine secret. All yeah, these say, say what you know. Pretend, pretend the other information is not out there for anyone to ever have <laughs> in, in, in its existence. Yeah, so he sniffs it out, and then I think Norwell's a little bit slow to kind of turn back on it, and so he makes mm-hmm. the tackle right. And again, mm-hmm. the, the other thing I think they could do a better job of is using misdirection. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the screen they run later to Armani Rogers. They're running off a counter action, which they ran earlier in the season against Jacksonville for a big play. So they came back to that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Armani is that he's not a big name. So no one's really given him that much attention. Also, his what he's doing on that counter run, he's on the backside of counter. So he's basically like just hinging and he's just kind of standing there. So it doesn't look anything dramatic. And the counter action pulls everybody away. The defensive linemen say, oh, shoot, it's counter. I got to beat the center across his face. So you're actually creating separation off of play design. The problem is when you run that with the back, the back is going to take you to the screen, right? Everybody's focused on the back. The back's getting the ball on counter, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that's also kind of understanding where the defense's eyes are and how do you manipulate them? So that's two things. One, a little bit of serendipity. And two, I think there's some technical things that could be a little bit better. And also I think there's um, just understanding the defensive rules and how to manipulate them because like that's what Kyle would always talk about on on it with his screen game specifically. It's like we don't want to run the screen this way because this player is a lazy pass rusher on second down. And he would actually know, like, down and distance specific stuff. We want to run this on first down, or run this on third down, or run this on third and plus eight, because the guy does this. And understanding your personnel you're going against, I think, is huge. So I think that's one element. You can just tell they're not they're, they're not detailed to that level yet. And if you think about the screen that they ran against the Buffalo Bills for 78 yards and a touchdown to Gibson, when was that, two years ago, um, last year? that they're doing on that play specifically, there's an excellent job of misdirection, right? Everybody's going to the left. The O-line's going to the left. The tight end's going left. And so the defense goes left. And then they say, oh, no, it's a pass. And then they drop out. So there was a couple of things they had to process there, and they lose the back. On some of the play action, uh, some of the screens they've run recently, it's like the focus is on the back. Like my eyes as a watcher, as a viewer of the play, have not left the back yet, and I can tell something's going on. And the linebacker is going to operate under similar premises. So I think that's part of it. And again, teams that are good at screens, they put a lot of time in on it, right? Just like teams that are good at running the football, they spend a lot of time doing that. So I think if you want to get better at screens, like allocate more time to it and troubleshoot some of these issues that pop up, um, that, that, that consistently pop up for this team in the screen game. So what are the alternatives then? Because, you know, if you're going like, okay, these are, they're, they're calling screens in certain situations. They're calling them as a potential shot place, which is correct, by the way, like a screen, yeah. A screen executed well is often a big play. Um, you you get that misdirection. There's a limited number of defenders in the area. You have blockers out in front. You 
ideally have a playmaker in space, and those can often be big plays. A shot play doesn't have to be a vertical pass down the field. Right. Um, it's just that they come just like vertical passes down the field. Those screens have a very small margin of error. Sure. Like if you hit it just, and th- this is actually something else that I, I'd be curious about with Heineke specifically is like the timing of screens is everything. Sure. And when Heineke sometimes lofts these balls out there on screens versus you see Mahomes rocket the ball on a screen mm-hmm. or Rogers or some of these other teams where quarterbacks can be really great with the ball handling and then fire the ball on time on target. Like, that matters as well. And so I, I'm curious, I, I, it's something that I know has happened this year. I can't remember specifically if it happened in this game where you're like, Taylor, you got to get the ball out there, bro. Um, so that is, that's, that's, I think one element that, that I would be curious about. And then two, like, what are the other options that they have in some of these situations where they're trying to use screens to get out of bad situations where they could run something else uh, if the screen game is not going to be something that they, they improve on. Yeah, so I think in this game specifically, it's to me, it's a good counter to what you would get on a shot play, right? This is the team knows you're going to run a play action pass. And so they might be aggressive in terms of rushing the passer on this shot play, correct? So I think you're kind of saying, what do they think I'm doing? How do I counter that? And the great way to do it is with a screen. So I think that's something to, again, kind of keep in mind. Again, in this team, it seems like it has good personnel for um, to execute screens, but it's also understanding that offensive linemen play a huge role in screens. And when you look at teams that have good screen games, they have dynamic, athletic offensive linemen. And I will say, you know, Leno, Cosme, both good athletes. But as you move in, they have a very specific type of player at that position. Like Norwell, I think, has performed well, especially recent weeks, but he's not tremendously fleet of foot. And so, like, that does not bode well to getting in space and making these blocks. And, you know, um, uh, Tyler Larson, the center, uh, number 69, yeah. is a very big player, very physical player. I think he enhances this team in the run game. But, again, not very fleet of foot. Sadiq, Cosme, they do a nice job on screens. I think you go back to the Dallas game and see how they do getting into space. So I think you want to run it to that kind of athletic body and a guy who can change direction in space. Um, but unfortunately, they just on the left side, specifically outside of Leno, they don't have a lot, lot going there from an athletic standpoint. And then you have Trey Turner in. And I think Trey Turner had a nice game yesterday. But again, not the guy that he was three or four years ago that was fantastic on screens. So then you get to the running game as well, because yeah. that was the other area where I was I felt like I was pretty frustrated post game that when we talked on the radio on Monday, you were like, no, I, I see it now. I, I get why you felt that way. And especially by the time they tried to run that fourth down play to Brian Robinson, I'm like, why are you running it straight up the gut? Like you're you're running it behind a banged up backup offensive line with a guy that hasn't had a particularly fantastic game. Like B Rob was in tough spots a lot, uh, which goes to I'm sure what you're going to talk about with how the Colts played things and like credit there and how the line was blocking. But it's also the predictability of it. It's like it didn't feel like they had a lot of that game plan run. A lot of those those hey we have a or I guess like I would put it this way the week before they got in that second half rhythm, especially, and even against Chicago, they got in that rhythm in the second half where the run game felt unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Gibson here, Robinson there, you know, inside, outside zone power. They had everything and it felt like it was very simplistic and thus ineffective against uh, Indianapolis. While the past game actually did have a lot of that, which is why Gibson was able to get out in space a ton why they were able to get, some of the, that stuff to Terry, et cetera, even if ultimately the drive stalled out for the reasons that we talked about. But the run game and it, its inability to keep them on schedule and how it was called 
how do you evaluate that element of it? Because I feel like that was a huge frustration point and a huge reason why the offense felt like it was doing a lot of good things, but ultimately wasn't productive. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really good, a really good, really good point. And and so when you're calling a good run game, like you know, I've been a part of some good run games in my career. There is a rhythm to it. You know, like there, like you mentioned the personnel against Chicago and you mentioned the inside outside element. And then you also have to understand like what you've shown them and how maybe you can kind of play off what you've shown them. I, mean, I think Scott does an okay job of that. I think he likes to go tight zone to counter. I, I, I personally prefer like an outside zone to a counter, right? Because you can really manipulate the defense and create some more space in that regard. But um, ultimately, I think, I think there's, we knew going against the Colts, the run game was going to have a tough time. They always like their big thing is to be plus one. They're always going to be plus one. That is a, that's a Seattle thing. And their coordinator has carried that here with them. Right. And so that was going to be problematic. I kind of felt that you could run at this team a little bit more than they did. Trusting the tight zone, trusting the gap scheme stuff, getting onto Forrest Buckner, digging him out of there. And there were times where you saw that, but there was also times where they got too lateral, in my opinion, and they try to run these toss crack plays that don't go for any gains. And I think you see also the defense adjusting because I think early on the, the run game was was not it was a little better in the first quarter than it was in like the second and early part of the third. Right. And I think a little bit of that is because like they kind of threw their punches and the and they kind of they they landed a little bit, and you're like, Oh, okay, that looks pretty good. And then Indianapolis was like, Okay, if they run this formation again. It's going to be toss crack. And you just see them running to the football, closing gaps, being physical downhill. And um, and again, like I think another thing to note is that they in third and short situations, the running back, um, you know, like those are not like high yardage situations. And there was a couple of those. Right. So I think that's also changes how you call the game in third and one. Uh, from a running game standpoint. So that's an important variable to also think about in terms of looking at the running backs averages. But yeah, I think, I, I just think this was going to be tough anyway for the, uh, for the offense in terms of running the football. And also I think that what they were able to get to and when they were calling it is going to limit the efficacy of those two guys. Definitely. Well, and that's kind of the, the funky thing about their run game. Their best runner on Sunday was Curtis Samuel. Yeah. And, and the way they used him and leveraged him and, and, getting him in different formations and using him with uh, Robinson, using him with Gibson really helps maximize all those guys. And it is the kind of thing that you wonder, like, you know, if something, I, I, I guess I, it's, it's a football philosophical thing, right? We're like, we have these game plan runs and we'll call them once, or maybe we'll call it twice. And it's just like, no, you've picked that in your game plan because you think it's going to work against a specific scheme and personnel. And I guess I just, don't understand on like a fundamental level mm. why teams don't do more of that stuff. Not that I want them to run Curtis Samuel 10 times, but if you have this quote unquote game plan run, something that is schemed up more specific to a personnel, to a, to a, the way a certain defense is playing you, why don't teams and specifically this team go to that stuff more often, as opposed to it being a change up based off of the same stuff they run every week when the defense knows exactly what's coming. So the thing about a run game, which I think is really interesting, is you have like your core runs, we'll call them in this for this for right. purpose of this conversation. And with a core run, you trust that your guys know how to block it versus multiple fronts versus multiple press, press, pressures. Um, and they, that's kind of your catch all right for when I was here with Kyle, it was outside zone. Like mm -hmm. he could call outside zone and we literally knew how to block that versus bear versus a three, four versus a 55 front, 25 front, 57 front, all those fronts. We just were like, 
Okay, these are our rules. Let's do it. And so that insulates you a lot as a play caller. When you have a game plan run, it's something that the offensive line and the running backs aren't as familiar with running. So, um, you know, just for an example, like with Kyle, we put in some type of bounce play where you're blocking down and you're pulling. And so we know how to block it versus kind of base defensive structures. Like we say, oh, okay, like if it's a, you know, six technique and a three technique to the play side, tight ends blocking down, tackles blocking down, guard and center are pulling. Easy. The problem was, is that if they came out anything different than that, we were always kind of like, oh, shoot, like, am I blocking down? Are you blocking down? Like, how do we get that done? If there's any type of line stunt or movement, it becomes way less effective. So that's why when you're calling these, um, you know, your game plan runs, you want them versus a very specific look. So if you start going to the bag on those a lot, eventually they become not explosive for you. They become very stagnant and it becomes very difficult to execute them consistently, right? Now you can run them more. So like example, like one of the fun ones is like the zone read to the pitch to Curtis. That's mm-hmm. awesome. You love that. But again, if if they come out in different front and you come out in that same formation again, you better believe the defense is going to check to something, right? The problem is you don't know what they're going to check to. So does the can the offensive line handle that? Is it affect the read guy? I would personally like to be thinking if you're playing chess, come out in that same formation, run a similar action, then run a pass off of it, right? Because they're thinking run. So that's how you would kind of stack those game plan plays is you stack them based on formation, not necessarily let's run this play again and again and again. And you see that like one of their plays that there is becoming more common for them to run is that trap with um, with Curtis out of the backfield, right? Where they like leave the three technique coming through and they crack the um, and they crack them with the backside guard. That's okay because in that kind of empty structure, they play very specific fronts. So you can get away with kind of more game plan, more Curtis usage package in those situations, as opposed to like coming out in base and being like, how are they going to line up and do our guys know what to do? That That is why you listen to this podcast, because I have questions that seem fairly obvious and Logan has answers that uh, provide depth and information and uh, make us all smarter. And I, Thanks, I appreciate that. At least, at least I do. I don't know if anybody else does. I'm probably going to take 152 calls today of, why can't they do this? But I'll be like, you want to know what you can do? Listen and take command, uh, and, and then you'll get the answer.